You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Do more of what you love in 2023. Meetup is the place where passions meet friendships. With communities for every interest, you're bound to find new friends. There are thousands of Meetup events happening every day. Download the Meetup app and join in. Hey everybody, it's Adam, live and in person for you. Hey everybody, it's Adam, wonder who he'll interview. I may have jumped out of my seat four times watching Tanya Pinkin's new film, Red Pill, but I am staying seated today for this incredible conversation I'm about to have. (laughs) Tanya Pinkins is a Tony Award winner. Her career encompasses nine Broadway shows, 20 years on daytime television, podcasting, writing, motherhood, and now you can add filmmaker to this impressive career. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Tanya Pinkins. Hi, Tanya. Hey, Adam. How are you? I am great. Good to talk to you. You too. I'm so excited to talk to you today. We have a lot to cover. I want to I talk about your movie, Red Pill, um, and then, of course, about your legacy of your career and lessons that you've learned. Um, but let's start with Red Pill because that is your brand new baby. It is. And the film is incredible. Like I said, I literally jumped out of my seat four times during the film. I had nightmares that night when I, so I did not sleep that night. And um, I mean, the the message of the film and the way you, you filmed it and uh, executed it, I mean, it is such a good film and it's such an important film for everybody to see. It's a horror movie. You meet a bunch of people, you know they're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But the fact that like it can come from within, like the title of the film says, Red Pill, is it's so scary, but so true of the times we're living in. Yeah. When did you actually film it? Uh, Halloween weekend, 2019. Oh my God. Talk about a perfect time to <laughs> to film a horror movie. Um, now, in filming it, did you uh, did you film it in the South where it, it takes place? No, we filmed it upstate New York where it looks a lot like Virginia. Oh, interesting, interesting. Now, did um, I mean, how did you how did you come up with the idea? Since you filmed it in two thousand nineteen, how long had you been thinking about this? What made you want to do horror for your genre? Horror is my favorite genre. I uh, I watch horror movies like almost every day or sometimes two or three a day. Uh, it's relaxing to me. They make me laugh or the ones that I really like make me laugh. I mean, there's some that I don't watch. Like if I'm going to be like on the edge of my seat for the whole time and feeling like I'm going to have a heart attack, I'm not watching those. <laughs> I need to watch ones where I'm going to get some laughs. I'm going to be trying to figure something out. So I tried to make the horror movie that I would want to see. Mm-hmm. And I've been writing scripts forever. I mean, I've got so many horror scripts because it's what I like. Horror, mm-hmm. sci-fi, that's my thing. And this one was really fast. Like, I think it was, uh, I was at the country house where we shot it with my friend Kim Sykes, who also is part of Girl Be Heard, which is on the Broadway Podcast Network. And I was telling her as I was visiting, her, I was like, this is the place where horror movies happen. And she was like, I don't know if that's a compliment <laughs> or an insult. And I was like, <laughs> can I make a horror movie at your house? And she's like, okay. And I didn't know if she was serious. And then we were having a conversation because it happened to be the second weekend where we'd had two mass shootings in a row. Mm -hmm. 
And we were talking about it and she was like, oh, you know, those are just random crazies. And I was like, no, you don't understand. There are, there's a, a deep underbelly and there's nothing random about it. And, you know, even when I would tell people that uh, 45 was going to win in 2016, they treated me with such disdain and much the way that Cassandra is treated with, like, she's so ridiculous. Mm. So um, this election I had a sense of what was going to happen. And I was like, there's no point in talking to people about it. I don't really wish to have that contempt again. I'll just make a story about it. And people can say, that's so crazy and far-fetched, which is what they said when they read the script. Mm. <laughs> but it's very true. I mean, fast forward now. For... It came to pass. Yes. How do you want Red Pill to um, to fit into your legacy of body of work? When people think about Tanya Pinkins, what do you want people to remember about Red Pill? I hope that, I think that it is so specifically and uniquely uh, my point of view. And it's a point of view that I don't think a studio would have funded me. One, because the perspective is so so authentically real and not uh, supporting any capitalist agenda. Uh, Two, I'm a black woman, I'm an older woman. So I hope that it is an inspiration for other marginalized people to grab the reins, use whatever resources they have and tell their unique and specific stories. Because I believe the more of those stories get into the world, we're going to make a bigger and better world that works for everyone. That is very true. I mean, watching it, you could definitely tell your voice throughout the whole movie. And I kept thinking to myself, we need more films like this. So May it I be hope so. I hope uh, I hope you have more films in your in your oh, catalog to create. Oh, and, I do. Uh, I do. I want to do. I'm hoping that the next one I get to do is my spider, my spider horror film. So it's a, it's an action adventure, adventure, adventure horror film. So I'm hoping I can uh, marshal the resources to make that one next. Oh, I can't wait. Now, um, continuing with the legacy conversation. X amount of years from now, when someone mentions Tanya Pinkins, what do you want them to think about you? Or what do you what do you hope your legacy is for for everybody? Gosh, I guess I've never thought about legacy. Uh, I don't know. I'll be dead. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You know, I I don't know. And I don't I figure I'm going to be forgotten just like most of us are. Mm. Um the movie might last a hundred years from now. Someone may be in a film class and pulling up a movie talking about a time and what was going on. And hopefully it's a different world and uh, it'll be a a reminder that there actually were artists who were speaking to the truth of the moment. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yes, you, you do. You definitely tell the truth and you speak. And I mean, you're beautiful when you, when you speak, because you speak from the heart where do you where do you think that comes from? Because not everybody can just tell it like it is. And I always feel like one thing I've always admired about you is that you always tell it exactly how it is and you don't sugarcoat anything. And have you always been that way or did it come with uh, as you got older? Definitely uh, being comfortable with that has come with getting older um, I think the one of the wonderful things about getting to the place where everyone else in the world sort of discounts you is like, oh, I really have nothing to lose. I can just be myself, take it or leave it. So 
I think that's a wonderful thing about being a mature woman is a, a freedom that you just, you don't have when you're younger. I mean, maybe there's some young people who have it, but um, I realized that I've always seen people and mm -hmm. seen the world. And I just assumed that everyone else did that. I think in the way that sociopaths assume that everyone else is a sociopath and looking at everyone else like prey. I just assumed that everyone else could see. And then as I went out into the world and got sort of slapped around by people who felt threatened by the fact that I could see them, that they couldn't, their mask was, you know, transparent to me, that I could see to their vulnerability. Um, I really tried to cover that up for a while, but, um, you know, I think some people call it an empath or whatever, but I don't know. I, I just, I see the, the Aboriginal people call it pattern mind mm -hmm. and I can't explain it either way. I think it's something that happens in my teaching. I can see blocks in people and I can, I can move them if the person is willing to have them moved. Um, you know, I suppose it's a gift. It's at times been a curse when, you know, people don't want to be seen and put up, you know, nuclear bombs to stop that. But um, I think as I've gotten older, I realize that that's my gift. That's my superpower. And I can use it in my creativity to show people to, um, for them who have ears to hear, my work can be a key that unlocks something that's already within them. Mm. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll move the conversation to Tanya's Broadway, TV, and podcasting work. So don't go anywhere. We have much more with Tanya Pinkins. Priceline presents Go to Your Happy Price. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. You can see yourself already there. It's beautiful. It might be sunny and sandy for some, neon and urban for others, deserts or rainforests or hiking trails. With Priceline, you can get to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else. Like up to 60% off select hotels to Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to Priceline.com and travel to your happy place for a happy price. All right, see ya. I'm off to Miami. No, actually, wow, look at that. No, I I'm going to Hawaii now. Ooh, Cancun looks nice. You know what? Belize looks pretty nice this time of year. Or, mmm, Palm Springs. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. For the fourth year in a row, Don is partnering with iHeartRadio for Can't Cancel Pride, a campaign that has raised over $11 million for the LGBTQ plus community. Don continuously strives to celebrate visibility and inclusivity for all, and that means supporting amazing organizations like Centerlink, providing safe spaces where over 52,000 community members go each week to receive critical and life-saving services. Don is there for your home, or your home away from home. So visit Can'tCancelPride.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to Bearing It All with Call Me Adam. And now we're back. And we're back. <laughs> and we're back. That was a quick break. Yes, very <laughs> fast. Very fast here. <laughs> let's go. Let's go back to some of your um, your other uh, career uh, in the topic of legacy. Um, so I I came to know you uh, when you were on All My Children. 
um, as um, uh, Olivia were, Fry Cudahy. Yes, yes, the DA. Uh, what was your what, what, what? Looking back on your experience on the show, um, I mean, what did you love about playing Livia? What do you What do you want? Um, you know, what do you want people to think when they think of you playing her? Uh, what do you hope that they are like, oh, Tanya did this really good with her? And what would you have liked maybe to see happen with her character that didn't get to happen? Oh, well, you know, it was problematic. Um, first of all, getting to be on All My Children and to be in Pine Valley was a lifelong dream. I'm from Chicago. I've watched All My Children from the first episode, grew up watching All My Children. One of the first auditions I had when I came to New York was for the role of um, Angie and I didn't get it. So 20 years later to get to be on All My Children was just a dream come true in every way. Like live to be on there, so much fun. That cast was great. We had a ball, but for me, on both of my soap operas, as the world turns, all my children, I was, you know, just an appendage, a shoulder, a lean on, an ear to listen to. Um, didn't really have much of a story of my own. Did get to work with Michael B. Jordan and Dondre Whitfield and Sherry Headley and Bill Christian and Richard Lawson, but you know, didn't really, it didn't really ever have a front burner story. Mm. Yes. Yes. I remember the storyline with Michael B. Jordan because that was the time when I was watching it. Um, yeah, I, I always did want more from that. But I mean, what can I mean, it's the right, you know, the writers. It's just what they did. But yeah. I got to live a dream that I always had. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm glad you did because it was very enjoyable to see you on there. And then you've had you've been in nine Broadway shows, which is incredible. Um what do you what do you love about being on Broadway? What do you what do you hope that you can that you you know all all of the shows you've been in? What do you hope um, you can like teach people about being a, a Broadway star? Um, I don't know that I can teach anybody anything about anything, but um, you know certainly when you're on Broadway, it's the it was the largest arena for the theater. It's not anymore. I think that the biggest thing this pandemic has shown is that when you put theater online, you expand the audience exponentially. And I don't think we'll ever go back. Mm -hmm. I think that all theater will have an online component going forward. There's mm -hmm. just too much revenue to be made in that. And we are unfortunately in a capitalist society. Um, that it's just a stop, you know, Broadway is a stop and, you know, you pick, pick up some awards and enjoy that, but it's not a destination. Um, it's just one of the many, um, the many experiences you collect, hopefully in a, in a life and a career that goes a lot of different places. And that's mm. just one stop along the way. It's a really, really nice stop and a fancy stop, but it's not all there is. Are there any, uh, roles that you had that you were just like, you were so proud to be able to play? Yes. The one that I always bring up because so few people got to see it because of that demon producer is play on um, Lady Live, which was uh, Shakespeare meets Duke Ellington. And it is just an extraordinary show that can never be put together again because it doesn't even exist. But there is an album of it. And that was one of the most fun shows I ever did. I got to sing. I got to be funny. I got to um, 
be dramatic. I birthed my daughter during it on the road. And, you know, we got the best reviews of any show that season. And the, the producer closed it before the Tony voters even got to come and see it. I mean, it was Andre DeShields, Larry Marshall, Carl Anderson, Yvette Casson. I mean, it was like show-stopping number after show-stopping number after show-stopping number. But nobody got to see it. Wow. That's unfortunate. Oh, the album still exists, though. You can hear that album. It's, it's a great show. Oh, good. Well, I'm going to, after this interview, I'm definitely going to go take a listen to it. Yeah, that's a special one. Yes, yes. Um, now, I also, I can't do an interview with you on the Broadway Podcast Network and not talk about your podcast. You can't okay. say that. Yes. So um, what made you want to get into podcasting? Um, you know, what do you, what do you love about it? Well, I was asked to do the podcast, so um, it wasn't like something I was planning to do. Um, and I had just come off of doing 46 uh, inter interviews called um, the Me Too Dialogues for a platform called the Shift Network. And uh, doing those 46 interviews, I learned that I have a really good gift for, in that same way that I see people and can move things, I just... I can see people, I can see what they want to say. I can see what they're not saying. And so I found that people just get very comfortable with me. So uh, when the opportunity to do the podcast on Broadway Podcast Network came up, I was like, okay, I can share that gift with people and uh, introduce uh, people to people that they might not think are interesting, but I find everyone interesting. So um, it was just an op another opportunity for me to share some of what I love about my life mm -hmm. with, with other people. And I mean, you've had some incredible guests so far. Is there anybody you haven't had yet that you're like, who are your like maybe top three dream guests? You know who I'd like to interview? Michelle Obama. Mm. <gasps> we went to high school together. Really? And and the the last, well, not the last time I saw her. The last time I saw her was when I sang at the White House. But the time before that, which was the first time I'd seen her since high school, is one of the most humiliating experiences of my life and I still have never had the chance to like just have a conversation to work through that shameful moment <laughs> oh my gosh can you say talk about why it was so humiliating yeah um it, it was I was doing radio golf on Broadway and um Margo Lyon you know god rest her beautiful soul was um, the producer of Radio Golf, and she was also one of the campaign uh, fundraisers for the Obama campaign. And so there was a big event at that. What's that place on 42nd Street that's all fancy, fancy, where oh, they have like... Cipriani? Cipriani. Uh -huh. It was a Cipriani event, and they were on the campaign trail. And so the Radio Golf people were there. And our poster for Radio Golf was a copy of a photograph of Michelle and Barack. And so the coup for the show would have been if they could have gotten a photo with me and Michelle Obama. And um, I was like, every press person there was Michelle Obama. Like there was nobody else in the room that they were interested in. And I was like, guys, we are not getting a photo with Michelle Obama. Did you see that line? <laughs> I said, but I'll tell you what, I will back up towards her. And then when she turns this way to, you know, talk to the press person on this side, snap the photo. So, you know, I'm just backing up and I guess I bumped her. She turned around, she goes, oh my God, Dr. Pinkins, we went to high school 
she said high school, I clutched my throat and cringed and ran away from her like that. <laughs> there, there's a photo of that somewhere because there was so much press and then just humiliation and shame because she looked shocked like it was such an assault and I was like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry Whitney Young was like the worst experience of my life I mean people were so terrible to me there and I'm just so sorry and it was like you know the moment had passed and we got the photo and just it's a humiliation I have never recovered from (laughs) wow oh my gosh because I did not realize that she was Michelle Robinson that I'd gone to high school with Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that would be that would be an incredible conversation that you would have with her. And I I, I, I know you're going to get her at some point. I know you are. Probably. And I can't wait to listen to that podcast when you do. Yeah. Yes. Me too. Yes. Um, what is something um, about yourself that you want to pass on to your children that you really hope that they get from you? Uh, I'm pretty clear that um, you don't get to pass on anything to your children. (laughs) (laughs) I have four and my my friends and my parents were like, you know, we hope our children, you know, particularly our daughters, they, you know, when you come to those forks in the road and you go to do the bitter road or the better road that they choose the better road, but they go, they can go, oh, mom did that. So I'm not going to, or they go, oh, that's why mom did that. You hope that's what's going to happen, but it's a crap shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. My children do not listen to me, but they'll send their friends to me when they're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, did um, ha- have you gotten to see your kids during the pandemic? The first month of the pandemic, almost six weeks, all four of them found a way to live in my house in my apartment with me in New York. And so for me, it was like, if I die, I got to spend it with the four people I love most in the world. So I did get that. Um, my daughter now uh, lives with me. So I've seen her a lot, but the other three I haven't seen in a long time. Mm. What did you, what was like one of the best parts about all being together? Was there like, was there an activity you did that you're just like, oh, I'm so glad we got to do this? Or was it just, them being there? Um, I, you know, I hadn't had all four of them under one roof in about 10 years because they're all adults. Mm-hmm. And so we cooked way too much and I put on way more than the COVID-19. Um, we finally had to go, why are we eating three meals a day? We're not doing anything. And at night we would play uh, board games. So I had so many different kinds of board games. Um, I think there's that one like Secret Hitler. We uh-huh. played that and we played Code Names. And oh, we, I bought a lot of board games and we just played board games every night. And it was a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. I love board games. So much fun. So much fun. We are unfortunately out of time for today's episode. The second part of our conversation, where we talk about lessons learned, will be released soon. Um, Now, where can everybody find you on social media? Um, I want them to find me now at Red Pill, www.redpillmovie2020.com. And I'm, you know, at Tanya Pinkins on Insta, Twitter, uh, all of those places. Great. Well, everybody listening, you have to see Tanya's film, Red Pill. It is so good. It's already starting to win awards. You've won, um, I know of the two awards at the, mm-hmm. M- am I pronouncing this right? Mykonos? Mykonos, Mykonos Greece, we won um, Best 
first time filmmaker, best Black Lives Matter film, um, a film in a, a jury in Sweden, the Lulea, we won best first time filmmaker. We're gonna be at the Cine Excess uh, Film Festival in um, Birmingham, England. We're going to be at a festival in Amsterdam as well. That's so great. Everybody listening, you have to see this movie. Like I said at the beginning, I jumped out of my seat four times. It is so good. So please, please go watch it. And um, always remember here at the Broadway Podcast Network, we have thousands of hours of art and theater podcasts. So keep listening. He'll get the dirt and the scoop and the story for he happens to be in the know. Just ask anybody who's had him at Find more episodes of Bearing It All with Call Me Adam everywhere you stream podcasts. For my print and video interviews, visit my website, callmeadam.com. Follow me on social media at callmeadamnyc on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And finally, if you really want to get involved, Support my podcast on a deeper level by becoming a member of my Patreon family. Visit patreon.com slash callmeadamnyc. There, you'll get a variety of backstage perks, including advanced notice of interviews, the ability to submit a question to my guests, and everyone's favorite, swag. 